Pull up a chair, make yourselves comfy, and let's talk guitars. Hi, this is Cams, and welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. A few months ago, it was my great privilege and pleasure to sit down and have a conversation with UK guitar player Gordon Giltrap. We chatted for a good half hour about all things guitar. Without any further ado, here's Gordon Giltrap. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. We're once again in the beautiful library of Snow Hill Manor, in Spring Hill Manor rather, in the Cotswolds, and I'm joined this morning by the wonderful Gordon Giltrap. Welcome to the show, Gordon. Thank you, Kems. Thank you for calling me wonderful. <laughs> you played a fantastic set last night, Gordon. It was, it was a great pleasure to watch you play. Thank you. That You're very kind. It was... Um, it was a little bit late for me, as I'm getting on in years a bit. Um, and the the uh, your concentration was slipping a bit, so I, apol- I apologised to the assembled company for that. But everybody was very gracious and very kind. Well, that so just shows you. people like me that you're human, and that when we make mistakes, it's okay. Oh, absolutely, because it happens. I make so. a lot of mistakes, <laughs> but they're good ones, I think. <laughs> so you've obviously been involved with the guitar for for quite some time. A depressingly long time, yes. <laughs> it's, it's 50 years this year. Wow. 50 years since I started my career as such. I, I kind of date it back to when I signed my first recording contract, which was in 1966 at the tender age of 18. And my first album came out in 68. Okay. And uh, yeah, you look back on that, you think, wow, how did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> hmm. Well, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm 25 years this year. Okay. After having seen the Acoustic Roots documentary about the wonderful Bert Jansch. Was it really 25 years ago? 1992, that was first aired. Yeah, I remember watching it. Yeah, and that that was what sent me out to buy my first guitar. And had you played the guitar before then? I'd played piano accordion up until the age of 12. Okay. And then there was a long gap. When so that's a good grounding in music, though, theory and stuff, yeah? I had some of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you were a, a contemporary of, of Bert Jansch. I came along on their coattails. I came along on the coattails of Bert and John, although it was only a few years. When you're younger, it feels like many years. Because Bert's first album came out in 1965, and my first album came out in 68 so it's not a long gap and I signed with Transatlantic in 66 but really um, Bert Jansch and John Remborn were the established names they were the guitar gods within the acoustic field along with Davy Graham of course yes um, and I would uh, regularly worship of the throne and even many <laughs> years on I was still wor- I would be in their company or I would still be in awe of them and I think that's a good thing yeah and Bill Leader, I believe, was the, the yeah, producer Bill of Leader. your first album. Bill Leader, the legendary record producer. Um, I would say, I said to Bill once, I said, you, you discovered me, Bill. I said, I owe you so much. He said, no, Gordon, you discovered yourself. Which I 
thought was rather nice. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, he was like a father figure to me. He took me under his his wing and was very patient with me. I was very a very young, intense eighteen year old and wanted to make it. And very insecure, and I just said to Bill, "Do you think I'll do it, Bill? Do you think I'm good enough?" Yes, you'll be fine, Gordon. You'll be fine. Yeah. Lovely man. Uh, I say legendary because he. Um, I think he was the first person to record Davy Graham. First, certainly the first person to record Angie, mm-hmm. and um, was around at the, at the very beginning of, of the of the what we know as the the British folk scene. Yeah. When when a, a relatively unknown Bob Dylan came over, and I think Bill was hosting him along with Bert. Wow. The interesting story that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe from the documentary, Bob Dylan was here in London to star in a play. He was. He was in a play. Um, and in the play, he just played harmonica. Mm-hmm. And his his stage name then was Blind Boy Grunt. <laughs> yeah, that was his uh, that was his stage name. Yeah, he came out purely literally to to uh, to be in a play. Uh-huh. I, think it was a, I think it was a radio play. But I think obviously whilst he was over here, I think he must have done a few little floor spots mm. here and there. Yeah. And how was London in those days for performers? What were the clubs like? Brilliant. You see, when you're there at the time, it's just what it is. You don't you don't think it's anything that special because it's what it what it is or what it was. Um, there was venues all over the place, and it was the Soho was such a buzzing place. You had three major clubs. You had the Les Cousins in yeah. Greek Street, is where I managed to get a residency. And that was really something. If if you got a residency at Les Cousins, you really thought you'd arrived. Even though maybe only yeah. six people would turn up on a Wednesday night to see you, you felt like it was a rite of passage. And I would share a Wednesday night with John Martin, hmm. one Wednesday. The following week, it would be a duo called the Sally Angie. And the Sally Angie featured a brother and sister called Mike and Sally Oldfield. Oh. So young Mike Oldfield. Okay. So they were heady days. Um, the other club, of course, was the Troubadour and the Old Brompton Road, which in, in its own way had its own history, probably a longer history than the Cousins. And you would have people like Paul Simon playing mm-hmm. at the Troubadour. Uh, I was down Les Cousins one night and Paul Simon dropped into the floor spot. Can you believe that? Well. Playing material from an album called Bookends. Ah. That was Al Stewart's night. And uh, I remember standing at the back and Paul walked down the stairs with a lady called Judith Piepe. Judith Piepe was a, a social worker in the East End of London. And when Paul was starting out, this is all well documented, but when was Paul started out over here in the UK and when Art Garfunkel came over, they used to stay at Judith's flat in Cable Street in the heart of the city of London. Mm. And obviously he was over visiting and... Uh, he came down the stairs. I looked up. I thought, "Oh my God, it's Paul Simon!" And he came down and he stood next to me. So I was sandwiched between him and a, another very famous singer-songwriter called Roy Harper. Ah. So they were they were having a conversation across me, uh-huh. and I and I thought to myself, Gordon, remember this. I think this is significant. I think this is a special moment. Make <laughs> the most of this. Something to tell your grandchildren. But that's what the cousins were like. And the other club was called Bunges. And Al Stewart regularly would play at Bunges and a lot of other people. But the cousins was the place that you would have Bert and John playing regularly. Jackson C. Frank. Uh I went down there one night midweek and there was a band on and the guitarist was John McLaughlin. 
Right. And there's only about half a dozen people in the audience. Uh, another time I dropped down, there was a band on stage. I thought, these are a bit good. And they were the incredible string band. Right. Did a floor spot. You know, so, it was that kind of place. Cat Stevens is around a lot. Um, it is alleged that Jimi Hendrix turned up one night and an all-nighter mm-hmm. at the Cousins and played. Wow. Yeah. So how do you think that compares now with the, the gigging scene, the live music scene? You can't compare it, really. You can't compare it because the music business has changed drastically. In those days, I sound like an old-age pensioner, because I am. I've t- I turned 70 <laughs> this year. Um, in those days, if you got a deal with a record company, they would work with you mm-hmm. over a three-album period. So the, the 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 plan was you do a first album to get establish yourself or, or to get known. The second album would be a bit more known. The third album you would it would establish you as an artist. So it, you know they were prepared to work with the artist, and the money wasn't the main agenda then. Yeah, and there was a degree of longevity. You know they believed in. So if you sign with the right label, I mean everybody that signed with Island Records became incredibly famous. Mm-hmm. There's nobody really that had a, a failed career as far as I know. Um, I was with Transatlantic and I, I signed with them because my heroes were there. Yeah, they were they were with the label, and I thought this is the label to be with. You go into you go into the offices there; it's like walking on hallowed ground because Bert Jansch had walked through that space and yeah. John Rimborn. Yeah, it was different. It was it was it was a golden age. It was a golden age of music. It was a golden age of live performance, and it was a golden age for the guitar because certainly I. I honed my craft around the clubs of London in the early days and certainly in, in the Cousins. It was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. And there wasn't so much ego. There was, there was kind of healthy competition, but there wasn't as much ego there. And everything went, you know, it was okay. You could get up there and do whatever you wanted. Nobody cared because it was a, music was a great melting pot. But that was the 60s, you know. Yeah. It was a great time. But that, that was a, a great period of evolution of guitar playing some might say when some of the blues influences from america came across and it seemed to grow up around london at that time that it particular did. style of playing it did and i yeah obviously bert and john picked up on you know the, the, i think the the term folk blues was coined around about that time probably from davy graham with his album folk blues and beyond ah, okay. um and so they, you, you, you'd be embracing this music and trying to write stuff like it, and then you'd say, "Oh yeah, well I'm a folk, I'm a folk blues artist." <laughs> you know, I was as far away from blues as anybody could be, but I certainly embraced it and was influenced by the people that were were the real deal. And in my, as far as I'm concerned, Bert was the real deal, and so was John. Mm. I mean, John Remborn used to play slide guitar. He listened to the first album, right? He used to okay. play bottom, like a bit of bottleneck stuff, mm. yeah. And besides the, the folk boom, there was another large influence in your life, a certain Pete Townsend. Yes, yeah. You see, but looking back on it, it's all related because Pete was, uh, all that stuff that he was doing with The Who was influenced by the blues musicians, people like Howlin' Wolf, and and it was very much acoustic-based. I mean, Pete is a, is a great acoustic guitarist. And all everything that he wrote in those days was based around the acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um People, uh, uh, tracks like Substitute was written around a, 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 a Harmony 12 string 
Yeah. You know, so the, so you got these 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 acoustic guitars jangling away in the background. So therefore, yeah, I would be influenced by by his his approach to the guitar, his charisma, his excitement, his anger, if you like, his intensity. And I was influenced by that because he was he is a Londoner. I was a Londoner. I was from the south. He was he was uh, the other the other part of town. You know. Um, where was it? Where did he? Where was he from? White City, around that way, where the Who huh. were based. Um, and so I, you know, I, 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 I used to watch Ready Steady Go, and I was intrigued by this, this guy with the big nose playing this incredible <laughs> stuff. This excitement, yeah, I picked up on that. Still there, I had the great pleasure of meeting uh, a Pete last year. Actually, that was a, a moment for me. Uh-huh. A lovely man, very gracious man, a genius, towering genius. Uh-huh. And did you travel much in those days with your your music? Only the UK, really. I didn't. I didn't go abroad very much, and and even now, I, I I've never been a person to go abroad with with my stuff. It was always around the UK. Yeah, I would travel the length and breadth of England, mm. and then venture into Scotland, but not often. Uh, mainly uh, England, uh, Wales. Well, there was quite a, a happening music scene in Wales, yeah. but Scotland became quite quite big for me when I was doing the big time stuff when Heart Song got in the charts and I was doing the the prog rock thing and um, I I can tell you this not just because I'm sitting in front of a Scot not to be (laughs) patronising but my most memorable gig was at uh, the Glasgow Apollo Ah. Green's Green's Playhouse I mean that audience somebody said to me once look they're either going to love you or hate you but if they love you believe me you'll know it they'll let you know and they did yeah. I came on stage I thought I was God yeah. I really thought I was something special Glasgow crowds still have they that. made me feel special yeah. one of my favourite venues to go and watch music is the, the Barrowlands the Barrowlands uh, marketplace yeah the I know Barrowlands yeah. the, the big ballroom and it's spit and sawdust sticky yeah. floors and great 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 crowd absolutely yeah yeah what's the great thing about um i suppose scots generally but glaswegians are very down to earth they're very grounded people Mm. they never get above themselves and they certainly wouldn't allow you to get above yourself and i think that's great and i've seen that with other other friends of mine who've remained grounded mid-jure for example it's glasgow lad as you know mark Knopfler. Yeah, born in Glasgow, born in Glasgow. but brought up in the northeast. Yeah. Born in Glasgow, but yeah. Uh, Have you ever met Mark? No, no, I haven't. No. I never met Mark. We, we communicated uh, via email a couple of times. Um, he said he liked what I did, which was nice. Bit of an ego massage there. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I have a connection with Mark because one of my good friends is a man called Steve Phillips, and Steve Phillips uh, was in a duo with Mark when he first came down to Leeds as a, a junior reporter, because he was a journalist, you know, Mark Knopfler. Mm. And he met up with Steve Phillips, and they formed a duo playing uh, national guitars. And Steve Phillips had a profound effect on Mark and introduced him to all that country blues stuff, the real okay. deal. Because Steve was certainly, and still is, one of this country's finest blues musicians. And then he formed a, a band with Mark called the Notting Hill Village. Or Notting yes. Hill Village? Yeah, uh-huh. well, that was, that was Steve's, Steve's thing. And uh, they're still very good friends. And Steve's a, a lovely man, in- incredibly talented. He's a brilliant guitar player, brilliant blues musician, 
builds the most amazing guitars. He's a landscape artist. His father was a sculptor. His father was a head of art at Leeds, Leeds College of Art. And the very first Dire Straits album is a track called In the Gallery. Do you know that track? No. The first album? And it was a song that Mark wrote about Steve's father. Oh, okay. Yeah, about being the ignored artist, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my, that's my only connection with Mark. But when I'm with Steve, we don't we don't chat about Mark very much. We chat about I usually chat about Steve, what he's up to. Yeah. Because I, you know, I admire him so much. Now you've brought with you this weekend a rather special looking guitar from Filed Guitars. Yes. Is this yeah. your new your new signature model? Yeah. Roger and I were chatting about this. I've been playing Filed Guitars. Uh, since 1972 and really the filed guitar is the if you like the musical backdrop to all the most significant albums that i made in the 70s from visionary onwards and you know you can hear that filed guitar Mm. in the back you know on those tracks and uh about 15 plus years ago Rogers decided it was time for the company to do a signature model and he chose me as the first artist to do the signature model. Of course, I was very honoured and flattered and very touched by that. And uh, and we, we thought, well, 15 years on, why don't we do a, a newer version, but this time with different woods. And the woods we're using this time are maple, flame maple back and sides and cedar for the top. Mm-hmm. And it gives a very, very bright, clear beautiful lyrical sound uh, the first model was a spruce top with rosewood and okay. that's a that's a great guitar but all, i've never played a bad file yet they're all they're all outstanding yeah. instruments that's interesting because the other artist that was booked to play at this gathering was also a filed guitar player yes will mcnichol, will McNichol the yes. wonderful will mcnichol what a fabulous player oh yes fabulous young player and what a sweet sweet man great player Great and a fine composer. His, his his compositions are sublime, and he's young. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> yeah, he's young. But when you get to our age, everybody's young. Well, my age, not yours. Fair but, enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You look. You look at these people. Oh, he's thought he's young. You know. And then you sort of think, well, I was eighteen. Yeah. And I'm still well. playing. I'm still playing a piece of music I wrote when I was eighteen. So it just reminds me that that I must have had something that was significant enough for, for Bill Leader to say, yeah, let's work with this kid. I think he's got something. Yeah. 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 And the new wave of acoustic guitar players now coming up, I find it quite amazing to watch the another acoustic uprising and evolution of style and content. It's astonishing. that, 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 that I think the play-in has become very clever. That's any word I give. Very skilled and very clever. The only thing I would say is that um, a lot, I think a lot of those players, those great players, they I think they go through a phase of being influenced by these percussion players, the tappers, yes. you know. Um, and that's great to, to actually acquire that te- technique and that coordination. I don't know how they do it. I couldn't do it. Um, but then you've got to then f- have a tune. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something melodic and memorable about the composition within that. So if they can combine the two, then then they've cracked it. Yeah. That's interesting you see that because mm. that's that's my opinion as well. Yeah. I mean I chatted to Clive Carroll about it. I mean Clive yeah. is 
probably one of the finest guitarists in Europe. I would say so. You know, um, and his you know his compositions are sublime. The man's a genius. But we've often spoken about this. He said, "Yeah, he said that that tapping thing's not my thing. It doesn't appeal to me." He could do it. You imagine if Clive Carroll decided to be a, you know, <laughs> he'd be the best, wouldn't he? He would, yeah. if that's what he wanted to do. But um, I think we 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 come from a more of a an old school traditional approach to playing the guitar and writing tunes. Mm. That's that's what turned me on to the playing of Bert Jatch and John Renborn. John probably more so than Bert because John had this incredible ability to write these sublime melodies that were otherworldly and were part of the Renaissance. Bert wrote these amazing songs that had incredible poetry to them and his guitar playing would be very haunting and very different. Yeah. You know, totally different to John, completely different players. Both painting different pictures. That's the way I compare guitar players now. You know, we're all painting different pictures. So you can't compare a Picasso to a a Leonardo da Vinci uh, painting, you know, or a a Salvador Dali. We're all painting different pictures and all hopefully communicating in the same way. Yeah. And telling stories. Yeah. 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 And composition-wise, how do you come up with a, a composition? Does it just come to you from the air, or <laughs> do you put your guitar in a certain tuning and see what comes You know, comes up? I wish I knew. It, it, I'm I, every day. I'm so grateful. A, so grateful to still be here. Still grateful to still be able to play as well as I can at my age, and very grateful that nature has given me a gift. Uh, to write these tunes, I don't know where they come from. It's a desire for melody, mm. that's for sure. And that and that would be from listening to Burton John and also classical music, in, the English school of mm-hmm. uh, classical music. People like Vaughan Williams and Elgar um, and Gerald Finzi, these great melodic players. You know, you've got to have a good tune. So I come from that. That that uh, that tradition, I suppose. But when I compose, I come up with an idea. Um, what can spark that idea can be a guitar effect. It could be I could be working with a delay pedal, or a really great sounding guitar that inspires me. Yeah. An open tuning, using partial capos, um, getting at the germ of an idea, and then seeing where that idea will lead you. You have to follow the idea. Yeah. You can't push it. And I think most of the composers I know would be the first to admit that the best stuff that they've written, they haven't really thought about it. Mm. And all the good stuff comes from a place of non-ego. It comes from a place of not thinking about it too much, not having an agenda. And I've written a lot of clever pieces, well-crafted, clever, tricky pieces that appeal probably just to guitar players but I want to appeal to people that more than just guitar players yeah and the stuff that re- has really touched people is the stuff that isn't that technically demanding or well, I don't find it so but has a very strong melodic and emotional content and that comes from another place it's a higher it's a higher and it sounds a bit a bit airy fairy but it does come from a higher form of consciousness yeah and some of the stuff I've written usually late at night uh, it's when you're tired the ego drops away 
and the pure stuff comes through. It's getting to that point, getting to that yeah. moment. You let the pure stuff come through, and then, and then when you finished it, you say to yourself, "How did I do that? I can't remember writing that bar of music, or how did that come about?" And the other thing you must remember, you must remember, and this, this is a message to anybody that's creative that's been is fortunate enough to uh, to have a creative gift is that when you've written it and it's good, don't take the credit for it because it comes from somewhere else. Don't say, oh, this is good because I'm so damn clever and I'm a genius. Yeah. It comes from somewhere else. That's a nice it, message. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, yeah. um, It does come from somewhere else. So just always remind yourself of that because, because it can be taken away from you within an instant. So treasure it all the while you've got it and can still do it. Yeah. That's one of the great things about gatherings such as this one. Everybody's egos get left at home and we all come together to share in music and friendship. Yeah, I do. I, I do once every two months, uh, uh, I do a sharing day. I call it, I call it sharing day mm-hmm. because I think it's, it's what it is. Um, I did have a friend who wanted to create a thing called the Gordon Giltrap Guitar Academy. And I thought about it. I thought that's a bit highbrow for somebody who left school at 15 and can't read a note of music. You know, that's a bit, that's a bit, I think that would put people off. Because my job as a musician and as a teacher, because that's what I want to do more and more, is to inspire. So if I can inspire somebody with my performance, with my music, and the imparting of that knowledge to that person so they can go on to create greater stuff than me. You know, that's my job as a teacher. To inspire, mm-hmm. to inspire other people to go on to do greater things, or to just enjoy it, to find some kind of peace within the moment of of, of uh, the solitude of playing the guitar and just being lost lost in the sound of it and and uh, and the meditation of it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a meditation. Um, you know, it's a wonderful thing. Indeed, and mm-hmm. having watched you play and having spent the weekend here. I will have enough inspiration in my bank for weeks to come when mm. I get back home. Well, so. I've got to tell you, Cams, that I uh, there's nothing more nerve-wracking than you're playing in front of a room <laughs> of, of guitar players that you know are all great players, and they and they and they've all got it technically down. They know they know how to st- they do the stuff. They know how to do that that technique and the open tunings. There's nothing you can teach them or show them that they don't know already because mm. they've spent a lifetime doing it to the same degree that you have. Yeah. So all you can do is is to share it. Say, this is what I do. Do you like it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, isn't, it is quite nerve-wracking, and it's, and it's very, very hard to get that, that insecurity and that ego out of the way and just say, okay, this is what I do. Yeah. I thought I'd grown out of it, but I haven't. There's still that nervousness when you're playing in front of guitar players. Well, that's interesting. I shan't wait too long for myself to grow out of it. Because yeah. I do suffer from the same affliction. Yeah, absolutely. And it was one of my great pleasures yesterday to to uh, accompany you on your composition that I thought was delightful. Thank you. That's very it kind. was lovely. And what I liked about it was the you started off, was it 4-4? Did it start off in 4-4? Then it changed. The time signature changed. Yes, it did. Yeah. And that was lovely. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is good because, you again, it's a conversation. You're starting off with that section. Then you're just going off at a tangent. So you've got the A music and the B music. Then you come back to the A music yeah. and resolve it. 
and um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it and I was very mindful of the fact that I was just improvising over what you were doing and that piece of music is obviously very precious to you and I was just mindful of the fact that I didn't want to screw it up <laughs> and I, I don't think I did I think you I played all, I think I just yeah. followed what your left hand was doing and I played all the right notes in yeah. hopefully all the right places oh it was a great moment for me to share the stage with you thank yeah, you for it's a pleasure and a privilege Cams I mean that <coughs> so thank you Gordon for sitting down with me this morning it's been a great pleasure to talk to you if people want to find your music or learn some more about you, where, where could they go to do that? Well, I've got a website, which is www.guildtrap.co.uk. There's there's little snippets from various albums on there. There's a, a, a link to uh, a website called Lathkill Publications, and a lot of my music is on there that you can download for a couple of quid, uh, the PDFs, if you fancy learning some of the stuff. Okay. Um, I'm also very much tied in with a, an organisation called RGT, which is a London, basically the London College of Music, where a lot of my pieces are now being graded. So I, I've now become legit. Oh, okay. You know, so a lot of my pieces will be graded from like grade three up to sort of grade seven or eight. And they're bringing out a book soon, and I think they're going to call it Graded Guild Trap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing that. Gordon. Yeah. Thanks again for joining me this morning. And thank you all for listening. It's been Cams with Gordon Giltrap. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview, folks. I'd like to thank Gordon once again for sitting down with me for what was a very humbling experience for me. As I alluded to during the interview, the reason I picked up a guitar in the first place was because I discovered the music of Bert Jansch through the Acoustic Roots documentary, which was first broadcast in 1992. I've been a fan of Bert's ever since then, so for me to have a chance of talking with one of Bert's contemporaries and getting the story on what it was like to be there and to be on Bert's and John Renborn's coattails was a great privilege and pleasure for me. Not only did Gordon sit down with me and have a great conversation, he also joined me on stage during the Plucky Dip performance where I got to play one of my own compositions and have Gordon accompany me. The Plucky Dip is one of the great features of the RMMGA gatherings. On the Friday night, the participants all sit down for a meal during which names get drawn from a hat and duos or trios are formed. And these duos or trios then have the weekend to come together and work on a performance piece for the Plucky Dip performance. And these are played all through the weekend whenever there's a space in the playing schedule. And it makes for some great friendships, some great bonding, as well as some great music. I've had lots of fun playing different Plucky Dips over the years. And it really is one of the best features of the gatherings. If you're in the UK, or even if you're further afield, and you'd like to come and join in one of the most harmonious and friendly gatherings that you can imagine, I highly recommend that you try and get to one of these gatherings. This year's was the 21st UK gathering. It's been in various locations, but it's now based in Morton-on-Marsh, down in the Cotswolds in England. And it's, it's such great fun. Egos get left at home, as we said during the interview. And people from all walks of life come together to join in friendship and music. 
It really is a cathartic experience and a wonderful experience that I heartily recommend. If you're able to get to one of these gatherings, I'd love to see you there. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thanks for listening. If you have any ideas on prospective guests that you think would be a good fit for the show, whether they be musicians or luthiers or anyone involved in the acoustic guitar world, please get in touch and let me know. You can get me on cams at acousticguitar.io. That's cams, C-A-M-S. Or you can find me online, acousticguitar.io is the website. And I also publish on the Steam blockchain. So you can find me there at steamit.com slash at acousticguitar. That's steamit, S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com slash at acousticguitar. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.